a medieval castle. The swamps of Dagobah. A haunted house. The Roman Colosseum. These are all examples of places. And when these places are used in stories, they become what we call settings. One of the primary vehicles of meaning in biblical narratives is when they highlight and repeat where events take place. I'm John Collins, and this is the Bible Project Podcast. Today, we're talking about settings. Settings are crucially important to storytellers. If a scene takes place in a creepy, rundown house, you as a reader now have an expectation of what is going to happen, something scary. If a story takes place in a courtroom, you now expect a story about crime and justice. And settings are a big deal in the Bible. Egypt, Bethlehem, Moab, Nineveh, Babylon. And what you're supposed to be doing, what the biblical authors assume you're doing, is keeping a little tally of where every story happens. This is not unique to biblical stories. Places become symbolic and full of meaning just by nature of the things that have happened there. So today we talk about the significance of setting. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. All right, we're talking about how to read the Bible. Yep. Specifically about how to read biblical narrative. Yes. Talked about plots, how plot, conflict, and resolution works in narratives, and then learning to read biblical narratives within these kind of embedded levels of plot conflict. Yes. Cool. So that's the first main tool the biblical authors use to tell tell us theological messages through these narratives. How the event is sequenced Mm -hmm. and drawn together. Is a crucial clue to its meaning. Okay. Yeah. The second tool. Yes, is how biblical authors talk about the setting of the story. Where the story takes place. Where the story takes place. When and where. When and where. Yep, that's exactly right. So... This is actually a challenge for modern readers of the Bible because many of these places that get named Mm -hmm. don't have any significance (laughs) for anybody who hasn't lived in that small patch of land the size of New Jersey, right? Mm. (laughs) That is is called Israel and the West Bank now. So, yeah, yeah, it's very easy to see the gap. What what am I supposed to think of when I hear the hill country of Ephraim, you know, or the the wilderness of Judah or Mount of Olives or that kind of thing? So one way is to like book a trip and go there. Yeah, (laughs) right. Holy Land tour. Yeah, do Holy Land tour. And then you have a visual reference to, oh, the hills of Galilee. Mm -hmm. Oh, Nazareth. Oh, that is kind of in the middle of nowhere up in those hills and (laughs) that kind of thing. So that's one way of beginning to get a sense of the significance of these places. But actually, there's another almost more important sense where Mm. you don't have to go there. Mm. All you have to do is have a good memory (laughs) as you read these texts. Mm. What other stories happened in these places? Yeah, and one of the primary vehicles of meaning in biblical narratives is when they highlight and repeat where events take place. Mm. And what you're supposed to be doing, what the biblical authors assume you're doing, is keeping a little uh, tally (laughs) of where every story happens. Mm. And then... And and kind of recalling mm -hmm. what those other stories were. Recalling those other stories, bringing those memories to bear on this story. Now, this is not unique to biblical stories. Every culture has its own way of doing this. Places become symbolic and full of meaning just 
by nature of the things that have happened there or right. the type of place that it is. Yeah. So in American culture, you know, the White House lawn, <laughs> you know, sure. or something, yeah. or just or Washington D.C. Yeah. As a as a city. Right. To when you or the streets of New York. Yeah, that's right. Streets of New York, the canals of Venice. <laughs> yeah. You know, or uh, or Paris. Yeah, or... a coffee shop in Paris. Correct, yes. It, it communicates something. Correct. And it also primes your expectations for what you think is going to happen there. And so then uh, the storyteller can either fall into those expectations that they've created by mm-hmm. setting it there, or they can surprise you. Mm-hmm by having something happen there that's precisely the opposite of what you expected to happen. Yeah. And so in that sense, setting is another character, another, and it's a, a crucial way of communicating meaning. Mm-hmm. So the same is true for biblical narratives. So it's all these places. Egypt mm. is an ominous, <laughs> <laughs> ominous place. And you think of Pharaoh, you know, and the conflict and yeah. the death of the enslaved Israelites and, you know, murdered children and... Um, but then there are a bunch of stories that precede the Egypt story that actually the way that they're told seem to assume your awareness. Like there's a story where Abraham goes to Egypt mm. uh, in Genesis chapter 12. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear the way that story is told. It assumes that you have read the Exodus story. Mm. So even it's not just about sequence. Mm. It's once you read the Exodus story, every mention of Egypt after that is yeah. supposed to fill your mind. It's from page one. Every place is loaded Yeah, yeah. <laughs> already because it assumes that you've already read through it before. Mm. And now you're on your 50th read through mm. and you're keeping a tally of everything that happens in Egypt <laughs> as you go into it. So that, that's basically the point. Egypt, Moab, the wilderness, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. the Jordan River. Yeah. You'll notice that almost all the most important stories in the biblical narrative take place in locations that you've been to, that you go to multiple times throughout the story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. The simple point is know where it's at and recall what mm-hmm. other things have been happening. Correct. And and what yes. your expectations are of that place. Correct. Yeah. The wilderness is a time of transition and testing. Mm. Just right throughout. Whether yeah. it's for the Israelites or for Elijah or for David mm. or for Jesus. And yeah. then you're supposed to For what in testing? Transition. Transition. Yeah, usually in in people enter the wilderness in moments of Huge transition Mm. in their stories. Mm. And it usually involves some patient trial or test that they have to wait through. And sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail. And you're just supposed to bring that to the the occasion. The first illustration, I remember being introduced to this and that I traced through for myself. It was so rewarding because it starts right in the first pages of the Bible is east. Mm, Yeah. The east. Banished um, to the east. Yeah. Ban- so, yeah, the first mention, well, actually, the first mention is God planted a garden in the east. Mm. This is Genesis chapter 2. So, mm-hmm. the Garden of Eden is set in the east. In the east. Or from the east. Mm-hmm. It was actually a translation rabbit hole or okay. black hole there. <laughs> <laughs> but one main meaning from the east. And then when the humans are banished from the garden, they're banished to the east. And so, from a Israelite's point of view, to the direct east, is the it's a huge desert, right? Yeah. It's the, it's the northern extension of the Saudi Arabian desert mm-hmm. that separates Israel-Palestine from the Persian Gulf and Babylon, yeah. and essentially. So there's a huge desert out there. So to the east is ultimately you go desert and then Babylon. 
So they're banished to the east. And then in the narrative arc of Genesis 3 to 11, you end up going yeah. from the garden to Babylon. Which is in the east. Which is in the east. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then Ab- Abraham goes the opposite direction. From the east, he wanders west. Go west, Go west, yeah, totally. Yeah, this east and west arc. Yeah. And then Abraham goes west back to the land, Mm -hmm. which isn't, if you look at the geographical locations, it's not the Garden of Eden, but in terms of just directions of the compass. Yeah, it's parallel to it. as if he's going back to the garden. Yeah. Um, And when he goes there, it's described in Genesis 13. The land of flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, totally. And like the land of Eden. And then... He goes down to Egypt in Mm -hmm. Genesis 12, which is not good. And then he has to come up out of Egypt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then his descendant, Jacob, ends up going east up to Aram, north and east, to get a wife. This is Uh the Jacob story. He's banished because he stole his brother's blessing and birthright. So he's banished to the east. And then he goes. And then he makes his journey back West. west again. And then eventually, once all of... The family of Abraham acts like they go Jacob. South. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're back down south to Egypt. Then they come up out of Egypt into the land, just like Abraham. Yeah. And then because they act like Jacob, treacherous, <laughs> they get banished. To the they east. get banished back to the east of Babylon in exile. Yeah. So these big movements going down to Egypt, coming out of Egypt, go, coming out of going back to Babylon. So going, getting banished to the east to Babylon and getting mm-hmm. and then going down to the south to Egypt, those are parallel ideas. Yes, you end up down in Egypt. Uh, it's complex why you end up in Egypt. Yeah. You know, Abraham goes there because of a famine in the land. That's precisely why Jacob takes his whole clan down there. Yeah. Joseph ends up down there and so on because yeah. of the famine in the right. land. And to get there, do you have to go through the Negev? And you yeah, to... you go through the wilderness, yeah, to yeah. get there. Though that's not particularly highlighted in the stories. The main, but Israel coming up out of Egypt into the highlighted. land, that's the wilderness journey. Yeah. Yep. But the, but that's how you would have gone down too, or is there, mm-hmm. a, is there another way? No, that's the way, yeah, the through, way. The, you gotta the go through the southern desert. You got to go through the desert. Yep, yeah, that's right. And and then for the journey to east to Babylon and then out of Babylon, that arc happens multiple times. Mm-hmm. And this is why the return from exile in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are depicted as a new exodus as they go out of Because those are Babylon. parallel ideas. Yeah, they're parallel. Yeah. So even though by the compass, Egypt is south, mm-hmm. you know, and Babylon is east and north, they both carry different kinds of symbolic meaning of mm-hmm. being banished from the land. Yeah. And you're, that all is very meaningful. Mm. And, you're, and so you can, in the Abraham stories, the Jacob stories, the story about Joseph, the stories about the exile. If we were to make a video about, just on that, mm. what would that be? That wouldn't be a theme video. That wouldn't mm. be a... Oh, actually, uh, the exile and um, promised land and exile. Oh. Uh, it's basically about that. Okay. Yes. But I thought you said yeah. that one was also about living in Babylon and seeking the peace of Babylon and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That's right. That would be another part of it. That would be another layer of it, yeah. But the point is just the large narrative arc of the whole Bible has yeah. these movements and the east is ominous, mm-hmm. and the south is unknown, <laughs> that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. But then every individual place, you know, all these things happen at Bethlehem, yeah. and they're almost always related to David or preparing you for the things that will happen yeah. in the life of David. Where What's <clears throat> the town called um, where Abraham 
go Hareb or uh, Bethel or Hebron. Hebron. Yep. Yes. So yeah, I was just in mm. Numbers mm. and in the spy passage mm. when mm. they go up, it calls out that they went first to Hebron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why did they bring up that town? Yes. And yeah. that's a town where Abraham yes, exactly. was from. Exactly. Yes. So that's why they yeah. call it out. Yeah. So actually, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they tour around the land, they go to all of these places that will later become places of really significant events in mm-hmm. the biblical story. And it's almost, it's, a, it's the, on the large, on the large scale narrative way of saying Israel's story is lived out by its patriarchs and ancestors. Yeah. Um, the life of Abraham. Is that where he was originally, Hebron? Like, uh, he went to a number of places, Bethel, Hebron, okay. Beersheba, um, but, but then he gets called out. Well, then he goes south and then he comes back and he hangs out by the oaks of Mamre and okay. so on. But the point is you read the Abraham narrative. If you've read the whole Old Testament yeah. and then you come back and read the Abraham story, you're like, oh, <laughs> oh. I know why and it's exactly places. the sequence. If you look at uh, in the book of Joshua, the order of cities that they go to in those southern mountains is precisely the order that Abraham visits them in, in Genesis. And so it's as if the whole story of Israel is already being told in the the sequence of of, in the story of Abraham. And then his ancestors are retracing his footsteps. It has that effect on you. Yeah. So anyhow, so the point is, is keep a little tally of places. Moab, anyway, Mm. Moab. The Moabites. (laughs) Yeah, the Moabites, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where characters come from? Moab. Moab, the only the only ones coming to mind is in numbers with the uh, king of Moab. What what else happens in Moab? Oh, well, first of all, Moab is actually you first learned about it through people, not the place. Mm-hmm. So Abraham's nephew that he was not supposed to take with him. Abraham was told to leave the land and mm. your family mm. and your household, but A he lot. Do- but he doesn't. He takes Lot with him. Mm. And then that choice the narrator, we'll get into this with characterization. The narrator never sermonizes on Abraham's poor choice, mm. but Lot creates headaches yeah. for Abraham and headaches for Abraham's descendants. Um, and it's after the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where mm-hmm. the, Lot and his daughters flee mm-hmm. and then they have sex with their dad in a cave. Scandalous story. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then the children born out of that scandal are Moab and Ammon. Oh. And then their descendants in the narrative go on to immigrate east mm. to the other side of the Jordan. Yeah. And then they're the people associated with the Moabites and the Ammonites mm. who become these arch rivals yeah. of the, the tribes of Israel. And so both the place and those family lines all emerge out of that sex scandal in the cave. Mm. So when you pick up a book like Ruth and you know, a family from Bethlehem <laughs> ends up going to the land of Moab and Mar- and these Bethlehemite men marry Moabite women. You're like, oh, I've already been here and it did not go well. <laughs> you, don't, you don't marry Moabites. You just mm. don't do it. Mm. That's a good example. But then the events of Moab actually become the vehicle of redemption because mm-hmm. Ruth, the Moabite woman, mm. becomes the means by which and of some other means, Boaz and so on, becomes the means by which God saves this family. Mm. So in that case, Moab becomes a surprise redemptive place. Mm. And the place of, you know, this horrible memory becomes transformed into a surprising hope. Yeah. So that's a good example where the author will play with your expectations. Which is the same thing that happens in Numbers in the desert of Moab. Yes, that's right. Yeah, God turns the, yep, the curse 
of Balaam into a blessing. Hmm. Yeah. It almost could be an entire new series of videos <laughs> where you take characters and settings yes, and you just do quick little studies on them. One could. <laughs> <laughs> one could. I, sub- I mean, you can see why now I wanted to do narrative in more than one video yeah. in the How to Read series. Mm. You could do a video on each. Yeah. Plot, setting, and we haven't talked about characters yet. Oh, yeah. Just to... Just to set them up, mm-hmm. but then you can just do whole entire series on. Oh, I see the different like studies. Like you could do oh, Moab. I see. Oh yeah, we could do a three minute video on Moab. On Moab. Wow. Or we could do a three minute video Egypt. on Egypt or, or the east. Bethlehem or the East Whoa. or Babylon or all Whoa. these different. We could. Yeah, and then you could do it with. Um, You're talking about video series. Talking about video. Yeah, it would be yeah. A do a video, video for each one. For that'd be a setting. If we're doing word studies, setting video, this would be like place a place study. Place studies. Yes, it'd be a place study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be cool. It'd be cool. Wow. Okay, so setting setting is created. Uh, narrators create an environment for the events through telling you where. Yeah. But also they construct an environment through time. Okay. They're how they talk about time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, because, um, when you're watching a movie, you're in a location and you're in time moving through as a sequence. By time, do you mean like the, the time in human history or you mean Mm -hmm. the way time is constructed? The way time. So we're back to the, this is not a pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where you I was thinking about that Mm -hmm. just, I think last night I was watching an episode Mm -hmm. of something and just observing how time Mm -hmm. works Mm -hmm. in, it's just something you don't think about, but like you you can go through a lot of time, but it's not jarring. Like Yes. When do they decide to cut scenes Mm -hmm. to help you transition from, from moments? to moment. Yeah. It's actually a pretty sophisticated technique. It's really sophisticated. Um, and, and how transitions of time or gaps in time are yes. communicated. Right. Or if they're not communicated. Sure. The way two events that even though in the narrative world, they might be separated by 10 years, mm. but you could place them right next to each other with a little transition sentence. And then all of a sudden, two events that you would never put together in normal life. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're reading them in, next to each other yeah. and they take on a whole new significance. Movies that mess with time are some of my favorite movies. Yeah. Oh, of course. Like Memento. Memento. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. Amazing. Groundhog's I'll never, Day. Never. Yeah, ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, just Bill Murray. Bill Murray in general. In general. That guy's Have you ever seen the movie time. About Time? No. Oh, you need to see it. No. It's huh. great. Huh. It's um it's like this huh. romantic comedy time travel movie. Mm. And um mm. it's one of my favorite movies mm. because it's mm. it's essentially about how to live in the present, which is a lesson I need to learn in life. <laughs> but it's but it's then yeah. couched in this really fun Time travel. That's good. Romantic. That's good. Movie. Think about oh, the, more recently, Arrival. Mm. That, right, that That's came out a, last yeah, fall. That one messes Holy with cow! Because yeah. you start in what you think is one time, right, and then you're in real time, but then you're not sure. Yeah, and you're like, are those are the flash forwards actually flashbacks? Yeah, or flash. Anyway, so the way <laughs> the way time is constructed in in biblical narrative, it's through words. Once again, this is not time. 
<laughs> it's ink on a page. Right. But so all of it in, in the year of such and such a king and so on, right? So that's one way to establish time. Yeah. Uh, so like in the book of Samuel and Kings, those events get strung together in sequence of the reigns of kings and so on. But then within those larger sequences, there could be in the fourth year of his reign, and then you'll get an episode. And then the next story will be, and after this, or and in those days, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> or at that time. Right. And you have no idea. The whole Abraham narrative is designed like this. Mm. After these things. Yeah. So God makes a covenant with, you know, Abram in chapter 15. And it begins with, and after these things. And you're like, well, after what things? Mm. What story just happened? Oh, where Abraham became like a, a special ops covert mission soldier with 318 men. Oh, right. And like did guerrilla warfare on these alliances of kings. He rescues Lot. Mm -hmm. He meets the Melchizedek. Yeah, meets the king of of, uh, ancient Jerusalem. And and then after these things, so who who knows? I have no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. We're talking about years, months, days? Oh, right. No clue. And for the author, it's immaterial. He wants you to read Genesis 15 and that covenant in light of the story that just happened. Mm-hmm. And wh- who knows the time gap between them? He doesn't want you to think about any other story. He wants you to think about these stories one after another. Mm-hmm. And once you bounce them off each other, there's all these interesting connections between them. And so that's uh, an author can explicitly mention time sequences. Mm-hmm. Also, um, there's uh, the difference between narrative time and the time of narration. So the time of narration is the time it takes me to read the narr- narrative aloud. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, 30 minutes, read the Abraham stories. Or okay. something. Like, that's not right. very long. But then there's this, the portrayal of time within that time of narration. Yeah, how, much, how much of a time yeah. period had actually gone by. So a great example to communicate the idea is the Gospel of Mark as a whole. Um, so the Gospel of Mark in chapters 1 to 10... Mm-hmm. which takes like, you know, like an hour to read aloud. And, um, but it's 10 chapters and it covers a period of a couple years. Okay. So the narrative markers are really sparse. Yeah. It's mostly just, and next, and yeah. then, and then. Right. But it's a couple years. Uh-huh. Then all of a sudden you hit chapter 11 and it just slows way down. Mm-hmm. And then you've got chapters, six chapters. So 30% of the whole overall story covers a period of seven days. Hmm. So just think about the proportions. <laughs> you have 10 chapters to cover like two years, two, three years. Yeah. You have six chapters that cover seven days. So just in terms of s- speed, yeah. you feel like you're racing mm-hmm. through the first 10 chapters. Yeah. And then the moment you hit chapter 11, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and then it's like this. <laughs> you can imagine it visually. Yeah. It just slows and it's just scene after scene, yeah, it all happening within like one day. Mm. And so, what? So you back up and you have to reflect. That's very intentional. What's being communicated by racing through Jesus up in Galilee, story after story after story, and then slowing things down in Jerusalem? Yeah, there's a very strategic effect. This week is really important. Mm. Yeah, importance. It's a signal to the reader to slow down. Mm. You're already supposed to ponder every single thing. But really, really ponder these events. And what events are they? Of course, it's the lead up to the climax of the whole biblical narrative, yeah. which is the crucifixion and kingdom of uh, the crucifixion and resurrection. So the way all of that 
um, the way time gets designed and presented to you yeah. is always representing a brilliant mind. Hmm. But it's so subtle, you don't even pay attention to it. Yeah. But the skillful reader of biblical narrative will learn how they reference time. that it took and you're saying the relationship between the two Mm -hmm. will tell communicate something give you clues yep same with the overall design of genesis chapters 1 to 11 yeah huge you know yeah generations yeah all these characters many generations and then the you know that's 11 chapters right and then chapters 12 through 50 it's just three generations yeah same kind of thing so clearly, and then you speed up. You begin Exodus, and then like yeah, you skip, many generations pass. You skip pass, a bunch of time. You skip a bunch. So if you, you know, you could create a little kind of visual chart or something, yeah. and the key focus points are these three generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Hmm. Crucial events happen there. We slow down time. Yeah. Then we speed up time, and then we slow it down to just a sequence of a couple years mm-hmm. from Exodus to the wilderness to Mount Sinai. Yeah. And then Mount Sinai is one year, and you're there for half of Exodus, all of Leviticus, <laughs> and the first half of Numbers, yeah. almost. So it's an important n- year. Nearly half of the of the Torah is taken up, camped out, <laughs> at Mount, that kind of thing. Yeah. So then that just alerts you to, oh, these are the key events that are invested with the meaning. I'm going to discover the, me- the core meaning of the biblical stories if I pay attention to the Abraham stories. The Exodus story, the Mount Sinai story. Yeah, um, we slow the whole book of Deuteronomy takes place in one day. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So just look at how the Torah's time. You think that's the sequence. most stretched out in the yeah Bible? moment? I think so. It would be. Yeah. It's presented as like one speech uh-huh. on the day before they cross the Jordan River. Right. It's a whole book dedicated to one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought about that in but terms of narratives. What other? But it's a day he's recapping a bunch of <clears throat> history, though. Yes. And reiterating a bunch of stuff. Yeah, solid point. <laughs> In terms of the whole Bible. Yeah. That might be the most... The slowest moment. The slowest, yeah. Stretched the, out. Yeah. The, the, the smallest narrative time with mm. the longest time of narration. Literary time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because yeah. it's one speech. It's really not just one day. It's like <laughs> yeah, that's one... Right, part of a day. However long it takes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's real time. Yes. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. If, yeah it's right? presented that way. Yes. Again, cese ne pas un pip. Yeah. It's a <laughs> right. literary representation of that day and that speech. But the amount of but, time it takes to read it yes, yeah. is the amount of time yeah, it few would hours. have taken to yeah. have been there and it's listen good. to it. Yeah. It's good. So it's good there's, job. there's other moments of real time. They're strung out like that, but that would be the longest. (laughs) And there are other moments that get condensed, like like, uh, Paul in Athens, Greece, the Mm -hmm. speech that he gives to the philosophers in Athens. Yeah. You know, it takes 
maybe three and a half minutes to read it aloud. Yeah. Surely he it gave a longer, longer speech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's been condensed right. to get the essence of the speech. Yeah. And so, uh, same kind of thing. Then, did we talk about just specific times having specific meanings? Oh, yeah. So a subset within narrative time is ex- explicit mentioning of time. Yeah. In the year of King so-and-so, or in the fourth year of his reign. But then also there's where characters will enter a moment in the story and the period of time yeah. that the events is happen important. in. Yeah, so uh, periods of 40. Yeah. 40 days. 40 days. 40 years. The yeah. The promised land. Yeah. Yeah. 40, 40 days they spy the promised land. Then they. Yeah. 40 days Jesus fasts yep. in the desert. Yeah. 40 days they wander in the wilderness. 40 years they wander in the as wilderness. As a consequence of those 40 days. Yeah. Elijah goes to Mount Sinai for a trip of 40 days. Mm. Moses was up on the mountain. The people waiting for him for 40 days. Oh, really? Oh, mm-hmm. that was 40 days. Yeah, so 40 days gets associated with the period of expected waiting. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Expected, expected waiting. waiting. See, this could be another part of the series. <laughs> it could be yes. places yeah. and yeah. significant times. Yes. Yeah. Same with uh, Noah and the Ark, 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, and right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there, it's almost always 40. periods of, of waiting. Yeah. Here's a great example. Ezekiel calls the exile in uh, the end of chapter 20. He calls exile, Israel's exile to Babylon. He calls it Israel being sent into the wilderness of the nations, Ezekiel chapter 20. And the wilderness, of course, was iconic, the period of 40 years. Mm -hmm. But the exile is associated with this iconic number. 70. Of 70. And that comes from an announcement by Jeremiah. Yep, in Jeremiah 25. And then it gets expanded by seven in the book of Daniel. Yeah. 77. Gets multiplied. (laughs) Totally, yeah. So what you have is this, even though it's 70 years of exile and 40 years in the wilderness, they're different numbers, but Ezekiel sees them uh, symbolically Similar periods of time. And then you have uh, all these other interesting, um, the ending of the book of Genesis has this interesting thing going on where when Jacob or Israel, Mm -hmm. Jacob, the grandson Mm -hmm. of Abraham, but he gets renamed Israel. So when he dies, he gets embalmed for 40 days and then the Egyptians weep for him for 70 days. Oh, wow. When Israel dies, he has a 40-day transition period for his body Hmm. and then a 70-day period of mourning. Almost certainly, the author's winking at us here in light of the wilderness, 40, and the exile, 70. His name is Israel. So this kind of thing, yeah, all these periods of time, three days and three nights, Jesus drew attention to that one, Jonah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who swallowed up in the belly of the, in the, belly of of the, the monster um, for three days and three nights. He, he connects that as a symbolic transition from death into life. And um, there's an interesting poem in Hosea chapter six where the image of three days and three nights. So yes, not, again, you realize, oh my gosh, I'm in the presence of Jedi master. Here. Right. You know, you just thought, okay, well, it was 40 days. So 
right? He, it took 40 days to embalm him. Yeah. So whatever. So they recorded that. Yeah, they recorded that. And it's, but remember, these authors don't have to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. They're, they, biblical narrative style is extremely compact and economic. Mm-hmm. They will only include details that are relevant to the development of the story or unless they're packed with meaning. And so they'll often truncate time, stereotype time, round yeah. up, round down now, to, to do this kind of thing. It's important to distinguish this from like Bible code kind of stuff. Oh, totally. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Like. Oh, yeah. Yes. Big, big difference. <laughs> which I don't know a lot about, but it's kind of like yeah. the Hebrew alphabet is also numbers. Correct. And yeah, yeah. if you find patterns in these numbers, mm-hmm. there's dates and there's all yeah. these different information embedded in yes. this. Yeah. And that's not the literary genius. That's not them. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, biblical authors are aware of how these numbers work and they use them. Um, as time reference and as vehicles of meaning. Yeah. And uh, they'll engage in really sophisticated ways of doing it, but there, there are ways that you can at least make a case that almost surely the author intended this. Yeah. For example, in that story we referenced earlier where Abraham attacks covert operations, right. attacks, he takes 318 men. Okay. You're just like, what? okay, I guess <laughs> that's how many men he took, you yeah. know? Uh-huh. But then in the next chapter, 15... And the time reference between them is just after these things. Mm-hmm. It's this whole conversation. God says, yeah, you're going to become a great nation. And Abraham's like, oh, I still don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. And the one who will inherit my house is Eliezer of Damascus. We've never heard of Eliezer before yeah. in any other story. You're never going to hear about him ever again. So the question is, why, why bring him up? do we bring up Eliezer? And uh, this was in an early Jewish interpretation so imagine that your alphabet is also your numbering system. Right. When you're looking at letters, you also... See numbers. See numbers. Yeah. So, so that's how the Hebrew Bible is yeah. for, <laughs> for Hebrew readers. And so early readers paid attention to the fact that, oh, Eliezer... Is the number Is the number 318. Oh, interesting. And yeah. other than just it's a way the stories are paired together, and then it's an invitation to, oh, are there other connections between those stories? And there are interesting connections between Genesis 14 and 15. So they do that kind of stuff all the time. Mm. The book of Proverbs begins, the Proverbs of Shlomo. (laughs) And then um, the Proverbs don't start until chapter 10. Mm -hmm. And then that first collection of Proverbs consists of 375 Proverbs, which is is precisely the numerical value of the name Shlomo, Mm. Solomon. Yeah. So So they knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing, but you can also overcook all of this. (laughs) And usually it's, if you look at the first letter of each chapter. Yeah. Or if you count the overall numbers of letters, then it's like, oh yeah, dude, you're way... That's not what they were doing. Yeah, you're way beyond. And also the way that Hebrew words were spelled throughout manuscript history changes, like Mm. the number of letters in a chapter will change through history. So if you're you're counting numbers of letters and stuff. All that stuff. You're counting up all the letters in Genesis 1, all the letters in Genesis 2, and then those numbers spell a word. Yeah. Yeah, you're way overcooking. That's Bible code kind of stuff. Yeah, but on the on the on the narrative level, that kind of stuff is almost certainly going on. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it is cool. Thank you for listening to the Bible Project podcast. This episode and all of our episodes are produced and edited by Dan Gummel. You can watch our videos on YouTube, youtube.com/slash/thebibleproject, or on our website, thebibleproject.com. Thanks for being a part of this with us. My name is Mallory from Raleigh, North Carolina. 
My favorite part of the Babel Project is how you can watch a video and then say you're leading a small group, you can watch it with them as well so that they understand God's Word more with you. We believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We are a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, and more at thebabelproject.com.